This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi o natangata o Manawatu. It is a Tuesday morning, and that means that we turn our attention to the institution on the hill, uh, Massey University. And today, in particular, turning our attention to the business school. And we have associate professor of uh, Massey Business School, Claire Matthews, on the phone. Good morning, Claire. Morena. Um, so you, I, I, I googled your name and found your page on the on the Massey website, and you have uh, quite literally an alphabet's worth of letters after your name. Um, so this uh, this gives me confidence that we're speaking to the right person uh, when it comes to well a range of things. Really, um, I guess trying to, in layman's terms, break down some of the barriers that we might here in in the financial setting um you're you're an expert in sort of retirement banking home loans uh, you feature uh in, and are involved in a, a number of reports um i guess is is that is that always been your interest or have you fallen into that just in a professional setting um, i guess it's always been an interest um my career prior to joining the university was uh in the banking sector so i spent nearly 12 years working for Trust Bank, which was subsequently purchased by Westpac um, about the time I left. And so I had that banking um, sector experience. Um, I joined university to teach banking and then from there it's developed to a, a wider range of topics, um, particularly around um, sort of some, some banking related stuff, but some more financial matters, personal financial stuff around um, payments, around um, retirement and particularly KiwiSaver. Um, and, and financial literacy and financial capability. And one of the things that I'm you know, quite interested in, in doing is trying to um, demystify finance because for a lot of people, uh, finance is integral to everything that we do. And, and for a lot of people, it can be, um, it's a bit of an unknown. Uh, they don't have the knowledge and therefore that makes it a little bit scary. So trying to demystify it and make it easier for people to access and therefore gain greater control of their finances is really something that I'm um, keen on trying to help with. Yeah, I mean, f- banking and, and personal finance uh, has become, oh, I guess as as the as pe- more and more people are feeling the pinch and you have to sort of pay more attention to it, but I think it has become more complicated uh, since, well, certainly I remember opening my first bank account and having the book that you took to the bank and they, you had your own sort of personal ledger for your bank account. I mean, that's going, things have changed a lot more since then and I guess financial literacy can be challenging um, for people who are not literate in other areas of, of life, like the internet, because we're seeing banks close, post offices close. That that has an impact on people's ability to interact with the, their finances, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, over the last twenty plus years, we've seen banks putting a great, a much greater emphasis on delivering their services via the internet and other technological challenge uh, 
channels. And therefore, for people that aren't into the technology, that does make it a, a lot more difficult. Um, I know you said that it's become more complex, and I'm not necessarily sure that it has become more complex. I think it's just that there are a lot more options available, and so it appears more complex mm. because there's more choices, whereas back in the day, as they say, um, you'd go to the bank and basically there was one account and that's what you'd open and therefore you would operate. Now you go to the bank and you've got to choose which is the account that's going to best suit my needs. How am I then going to access that because I've got options of how to do that? Um, and, and so it's just the fact that there's all those options available and trying to understand how those options actually work and which one is best suited to your needs. Mm. Um, I think that's where the challenge really lies. Uh, I should say, um, before we go much further, that um, anything that we talk about today should not be construed as financial advice for your own personal setting. Uh, It would be worth speaking to someone uh, about it in more detail, just to make sure that uh, anything you decide to do suits your particular requirements. Um, We've been uh, interviewing, uh, we interview politicians, we interview other people at Massey, we interview councillors, and always uh, at the moment we hear about this, uh, the cost of living crisis, depending on who you speak to, um, whether it's a crisis or just a very serious issue. Um, But I mean, there are so many contributing factors to this. One of the big ones for me is rental prices and generally the property market in general. I find it astounding that the property market uh, and house prices have increased during a pandemic when a lot of people don't have the money for houses, can you? Is it possible to unpack how that happened? Oh, I'm not sure I can necessarily completely explain how that happened. Um, but to some extent, I think what it comes down to is property is seen as it's a very concrete type of investment, a very tangible investment because you can you can see your property even if there's no actual building on it. You can go and stand on the land, you can touch it. Um, you can see it, and so it's the fact that it's something very tangible for people to um, get their heads around. So that makes it a little bit simpler. And also the fact that uh, for New Zealanders, home ownership is a big deal. We have traditionally had very high levels of home ownership, and therefore it's been important for people to buy their own home, and therefore there is that very strong interest in property. And traditionally, property has tended to increase in value. Occasionally it's had downturns, but they haven't tended to last very long and haven't tended to be terribly substantial. And so people have this trust in property um, retaining its value um, greater than they do in other things because it doesn't have the same level of volatility or we haven't experienced the same level of volatility with property. And so what you've had over the pandemic period, I think, is people have had, to some extent, fewer options around what to do with their money. Um, and, and again, because property is seen as that tangible, trustworthy um, and source of, of investment um, or avenue for investment, people have chosen to put their money into that. Um, and and they've had time to, because they haven't had been able to do other things, I mean, in, in many cases, stuck at home for extended periods of time. So they've had the opportunity to look around and, and look at their house and say, well, actually, you know, this, it isn't quite meeting our needs. They would like to go somewhere else. And when there's a lot of demand, that tends to push the value up. You've also had, actually, while the borders have been closed, you've had a lot of New Zealanders coming home. And that's another and, and sort that are going to particularly be interested in buying houses. So that's probably been a contributing factor as well. So there's been a number of things that have um, contributed to that, I, I think.
Is it a, a sign that uh, the fundamentals around uh, savings uh, in New Zealand and how people prepare for retirement, is there a, a fundamental sort of broken part in our economy that, I mean, KiwiSaver was meant to be a response to the fact that people weren't saving for retirement. There was no significant state pension scheme that people could easily rely on. And so people invested in housing and owning your own home and maybe another one was the way to ensure that your retirement would be secure. Um, I, I know I mentioned that, uh, that KiwiSaver was meant to be the solution to that, but we're hearing now that people won't be able to survive on their KiwiSavers when they, they hit retirement. So there's still this need to have a large asset with the equity there to pay for retirement, which seems a bit broken to me. <laughs> uh, certainly, there is an element to which that there is a, a, um, something that's broken in the system. So if I just go back to some of the things that you said there. So first of all, one of the key things about New Zealand's retirement uh, environment is the fact that we do have a universal pension that is available to everyone. Now, the level of that pension is enough that you can survive um, but it's not going to give you a fantastic um, retirement where you can do all the things you've probably dreamed of unless you have uh, level, dreams that are relatively um, involve things that don't generally cost a lot. And for a lot of people, that's not true because they often include travel um, and, and doing a whole lot of things which do cost money. So if you wanted to have that type of retirement, New Zealand Super is not going to provide you with that, but it will provide you with a solid foundation. Mm. And that's why New Zealand doesn't have a lot of retired people or elderly people that are in um, poverty, seen as in poverty. So that's part of it. Um, in terms of KiwiSaver, I don't think I've heard the suggestion that it's not sufficient for people to top up their income, their retirement income and have the retirement they want. So KiwiSaver certainly can do that if you make use of it. Um, the biggest issue is that a lot of people joined it initially and then haven't maintained their uh, contribution. So they've taken a holiday and they've ceased their contributions. In some cases, that's a very logical, rational thing to do. But in a lot of cases, people have made the decision that, that they they believe they can't afford it and therefore haven't continued with it. Mm. So KiwiSaver can be very useful for that. Having a in terms of retirement, having a property that you live in that is worth a lot is not necessarily terribly helpful because you've got to be able to access that equity. So if you live in Auckland and you've got a million-dollar property, which is quite easy to do these days, that's fantastic. But you can't access that million dollars easily to help fund your retirement. So that is actually an issue because if you, if you want to access that equity, that means you've got to be able to sell your property at the value that it is and buy something that's at a lower price that's going to meet your requirements. And that's not necessarily going to be easy to do. There have been concerns expressed about the prospect of a large number of people trying to sell and downsize all at the same time and what that might do to the property market. So you do run the risk that if suddenly there was a lot of people trying to sell, that tends to push prices down. And so you wouldn't have as much equity as you thought you were going to have. Um, but you still need to have a house. So you can't just sell your house and say, um, you know, I've got all that money. It's, it's not as easy to access. There are options such as reverse mortgages where you can borrow, you could continue to live in the house, you borrow, and you don't have to pay until 
at, at the end of life, um, you, at, when you die, die, your house is sold and that repays the debt and you've just got to pay interest in the meantime. So there are things like that, but it's not necessarily straightforward. So there is something broken there, but relying on property to fill the gap is not necessarily the best option. And when I mean people owning their own home is has is one range of of challenges, but of course a lot of people in New Zealand don't own their own home and and they rent property and they have seen astronomical rises in rents over the past couple of years. Um, again, what what's caused that? If, if someone already owns the house and it's a, an investment, um, what what's contributed to in some cases a doubling of rent? Well, partly it actually just comes down to the value of the property because when people are looking at the rental income that they generate from their properties, they're looking at it as what is their investment. And from a from a layman's perspective, this may not make sense, but from a, from a financial perspective, the way you look at it is not necessarily what you paid for the property, but what it's now worth and therefore what you could sell it for. And so if you've got... Again, I'll fix the million dollars because it's a round, nice round number. But if you've got a million dollar, million dollar property, the fact that you paid only half a million for it when you bought it however many years ago is irrelevant. It's the fact that it's now worth a million dollars. That's its value to you. And therefore, what you're looking at is the return that that million dollars is going to generate. And therefore, rentals go up to provide the return that you expect. So when the property was only worth half a million, the level of rental that was required was less than it is now that it's a million dollars. So a large part of the drivers for the rental returns is the fact that properties have, property values have gone up. There will now start to be a bit of a, a rise because interest rates are going up. So when you think about the capital that you might have invested in a property to rent out, so if you're a landlord, you've, again, you've got that million dollars in a property and you can get a certain return the other option is to sell that to get the million dollars and do something else with it. One of the options is to put it in the bank. Interest rates are now at a natural level. Um, they may go a bit above that and have to come back down. But that they're a lot they're, they're higher than they were and will continue to rise likely for a little while. And so again, that's part of it because you, you need to look at what is the return you could get if you invested that somewhere else. And so that's a, that's a large part of it as well, and so there are some additional, um, some better returns available elsewhere. So rentals have to go up to provide that return to the landlord. Mm. It, 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 it's I think I mentioned before we started this interview. It's not my wheelhouse, but I mean you are making it make a little bit more sense. Uh, although some renters may still feel that's unfair, but I, I guess that's that's where the term investment property comes from. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily arguing that it's fair. I'm just explaining how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, 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 and one of the challenges for people that are in, in a renting situation is because of the level of rent that they're paying, they could be paying a mortgage um, and you know meeting the requirements for a home loan, but they can't generate the savings as well to provide the deposit to get them into the house in the first place. If they could get into a house, they could afford the loan repayments but they can't get the deposit they need to get into the house, and that's the big problem. And with house prices having gone up so much, it's just become a much greater barrier because you've got to save so much more to be able to buy the same house. So so that is a problem. It also is a problem for retirement because when we look at retirement and, um, for example, the annual retirement expenditure guidelines that we do, I often get asked about that in terms of the um, 
level of housing expenditure that's in there because there tends to be a low amount. And that's because it's based on what current retirees are paying. And because the current retirees are from the baby boomer and older generations, they have tended to have a higher level of home ownership. So most of those that are um, covered by the retirement expenditure guidelines, so the current retirees whose expenditure we're effectively reporting on, they do own their own home. And so their level of housing expenditure is quite low. For coming generations who are planning for their retirement, who may not have their own home and may go into retirement in a rental situation, they then need to actually have an additional sum saved to cover their rental because that's going to be an additional cost that's not reflected in those guidelines. Mm. It, it, it is awful. And, and the thing that I have um, noted in the sort of political response to this situation, we hear um, that uh, the, the National Party are suggesting a, a moving of tax brackets and, and tax cuts to try and address uh the ability for people to have more money in their pocket and thus potentially save. Um, the the Labour government is suggesting increase to the minimum wage will we'll sort this. I look at those solutions and think about people on minimum wage jobs, maybe two, two people in the, the household on minimum wage jobs, and go, you know what, the extra amount of money that they're going to attract through either of these means, even both together, is not going to come anywhere close to helping them, you know, realistically save for such a large investment? No, you're right. Um, it, is, it is very challenging and the best thing would be for house prices to come down. But the problem is that um, politically that's really challenging. Um, a little bit of a fall is fine, but if people see a... Even though it doesn't actually affect current property owners, you know, if you bought your house and it, it's doubled in value, um, you haven't actually done anything to generate that and it's it's on paper really so if it was to come back you know if it's gone up 100% if it was come back um, 25% then you're still going to be better off but um, not as, as well off as you had been and so you, you're still okay but the problem is you see that and people react to their paper values and they will see that as simply that oh, it was worth this amount now it's worth this much less and they feel less well off. And that affects how they behave, and it also affects their feelings of well-being. And if they're not feeling that they're doing so well, then that impacts on how they judge the government and things like that. So mm. from the government's perspective, they don't really want to see a significant fall in house prices because of how it will how people will react to that. And yet that's fundamentally what we need. So it's it's, it's a really challenging thing to do. And um, the only, it, it's really hard to assist those that are on the minimum wage um, in a meaningful way because of the sorts of amounts that you're talking about. Mm. Um, we're hearing uh, the, the dreadful word recession being mentioned as a possibility in the coming months or years. Um, would, would that have the necessary effect or is that, is that <laughs> too large a, a crisis to, for this one problem? Um, recessions bring all sorts of other problems, so it's not necessarily the best solution. And it's then a matter of how long the recession lasts, because you can, a recession is technically two quarters of GDP falling. Um, and so a recession doesn't necessarily need to be a, a long time, and you, you've had a recession. But if we have a recession for a long time, then that has significant negative impacts um, and you'd potentially see people losing jobs 
um, and you know, if you haven't got a job at all, well, then what level of income is, is irrelevant because you're not earning, um, able to earn anything and you're reliant on what the government will give through benefits. So a recession may see house prices fall a bit, but it would create a whole lot of other problems throughout the economy and therefore isn't necessarily, um, well, really isn't the, the answer. We are here with uh, Claire Matthews, Associate Professor at the Massey Business School, talking all things financial, really, uh, trying to break down some of the, the big things that are happening at the moment and uh, make it so that Fraser can understand them. Uh, if you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch Up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. Also on app, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, the other big news, Claire, at the moment is the uh, Russian. Ukraine situation. I think situation is putting it mildly. Um, and uh, this seems to be, well, there's there's two things here. One, I think, is the fuel prices that most people recognise that's a, a large contributing factor to. But also the, well, let, let's talk about that first. I mean, is that the only reason that we're paying almost $3 uh, a litre at the pump now? Or again, is there more complex issues? Because this is, I guess, the ability for people to travel is one of the fundamental for a modern economy. Oh, absolutely, you're right there in terms of the economy and travel. Um, certainly the war has had a significant impact, but that's certainly not the only reason. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things that drive the fuel price, and the fuel prices had increased quite substantially before the war started. And while it, there was that initial um, reaction to the war and you saw prices go up quite considerably, they have come back a bit. Um, they're a lot higher than they were, uh, you know, 12 months ago, but they're not as high as they were, I guess, about a month ago is when they hit their peak, their, their recent peak. The, the war is certainly a part of that because of the impact it has on supply, um, both direct supply and also to the, the supply chains. But there's a whole lot of other things that are affecting supply, and it depends how much the producers wish to produce because they have a certain level of control um, they can stockpile it. They can choose not to release it. Um, so, so there's a lot of things that are driving it, and there's a lot of things happening in the world economy that are affecting um, the fuel price. Uh, the other thing that the the the, the war is uh, in, well, there's the potential for the war to impact on Kiwis because uh, the government obviously um, released the, or, or approved the legislation for tougher sanctions on Russia, uh, matching that of of some other countries in the world. But of course, there 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 can be sort of a, a bounce back or a negative side to sanctions because if we tell Russia you can't have any of our dairy, assuming they were. A a large um, a buyer of our dairy. I'm not. I'm not so sure, but that would affect our own industries as well and have a knock-on effect. Is that something we should be mindful of, or is New Zealand too small to to be uh, concerned about that sort of thing? Uh, to an extent, yes, we're small, um, and so we don't have to be so concerned. But the reality is, it's not so much how much we're putting into the economy, which is where our size matters. It's how much it affects what we're, we are putting in. So it's the proportion of our um, exports that it affects. So while our exports on a global uh, scale might be quite small, if it's affecting 75% of our exports for our country, that is going to be a huge issue. Um, if, if, if we turn it around the other way and said for some reason suddenly we couldn't export stuff to the world, the world may not even notice. 
the fact that we weren't exporting except in maybe one or two areas. But the fact that somebody's not buying our exports, that has a huge impact for us um, because it's what we can do and it's not generating income and then we've got to find something else to do with it. And if you can get rid of it, you may not be able to do it at the same price. Um, you may have to take a lower price because it's at least getting rid of it. So, because um, if we look at the milk powder, you can only stockpile a certain amount of milk powder. Eventually, you've got to get it sold. And if you can't sell it, if, you know, if we were selling a lot to Russia, if we can no longer sell it to Russia, then we're going to find somewhere else. And someone else might say, well, I'm happy to buy it, but actually, I, I think what you, Russia was paying was over the top. So, I'm only going to pay you this much. And if you want to sell it, that's the price you've got to take. So that can have, um, it has the potential to have quite a significant impact for New Zealand's economy. Mm. And we've got a couple of minutes left, um, Claire. And as I said before, you know, don't don't take anything that we're saying as as financial advice that you can use in your own individual setting. But um, there may be because the there is a, a lot of fluctuation in the global economy at the moment, and KiwiSaver is an investment scheme. Um, and you you know you 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 take on a, a company to manage your investment for you and hopefully grow. Some people might be seeing, you know, a decline in their Kiwi saver or some stability where they had some growth before. The instinct might be to go in there and start tweaking the settings. And I, I gather the the sort of the, the the main advice is don't be so hasty to do that. Yeah. The important thing to remember with KiwiSaver is it's a long-term investment. The expectation is that you're going to be saving, hopefully from the time you start work till you hit retirement. So we're talking 40-plus years. Um, and even if you started more recently, you're still talking a long-term investment of hopefully around 20 or more years. When you're talking long-term investment, there, are, there is going to be volatility. Things are going to go really well and, and improve and increase in value. And sometimes they're going to come back. And sometimes those falls are going to be quite significant. There was a substantial fall just after KiwiSaver was launched in 2008 with the global financial crisis. People didn't feel that as much and didn't notice that as much because the amounts that they had in KiwiSaver at that stage were quite small because it had only just started. Because we're now 20 years down the, well, 15 years, sorry, down the track and people have more substantial amounts, they could see it more clearly. Really, people shouldn't be looking at their KiwiSaver balances on a regular basis. Maybe tracking it on a quarterly or less, but even less frequent basis is better. I mean, personally, I don't look at my KiwiSaver account more than once a year in general. Um, I get my annual statement, have a look and see what it's going. I've got my settings right. Um, I've got the amount going in. I've got agreed where it's going to be invested, and I just let it go. Um, and, and that's kind of the approach you really need to take because you've got to say it's long-term and not react to those short-term moves because if you've had a sudden fall and you make a change and move out of the equity investments where it's most likely to have occurred, then when things improve, what's happened is you've taken your money out when prices were at the lowest, so you've got the least value for your investment. And then when you're trying to go back in, prices have gone, so you're not even going to be able to buy as much as you had. You're going to buy a lesser amount. So you've lost both ways. Whereas while you leave the money in there, yes, it looks like it's gone down, but it's a paper loss only. And so you've got to be confident or have the confidence and trust that longer term, and it may take a period of time. You know, It's not necessarily going to be next month or even next year. It may take a period of time that it will recover and you will be better off. And so you've just got to basically 
take a deep breath, look at it and say, oh, well, that's interesting, and move on and just leave it and, and don't touch it. If you're really concerned, then it's when you need to talk to an advisor mm-hmm. and, and talk to them about your concerns and get reassurance. It, it, it's, I guess, like you say, it, it's a long-term investment, much like investment in property uh, can be. And when you see fluctuations in the property market, you're you're less inclined to sell when the house is uh, at its lowest um, value. So you just you have to wait a bit and wait for the, wait wait for it to realise. That's right. Um, it is very much like that. It's just that there will be greater volatility than you see in the property market. Um, but yeah, essentially, it's the same thing. Marvellous. Uh, Claire Matthews, Associate Professor from Massey Business School. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Happy to talk to you. There we go, Claire Matthews uh, joining us from Massey Business School on the catch-up this morning. Tune in tomorrow at half past eight. We'll be speaking to Jimmy Ellingham from Radio New Zealand, the regional reporter for Manawatu. On Thursday, Councillor Brent Barrett from Palmerston North City Council will join us. And on Friday, we will be speaking to MP for Rangitiki, Ian McKelvey, all at half past eight on weekday mornings here on NPR. Have a great day. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.